0: Welcome in everybody to yet another edition of what is my voice doing apparently it's coming up here now this is sad times i'm your host kevin welcome thank you for joining us for those of you who've never listened to sad times before here's a quick primer sad times is a show in which we have kind and generous guests who come on each week and they talk about times they were upset, sad, angry, times that they faced some changes in their lives, uh, where they talk about where they came from and where they're going and, and sometimes how that is a very terrifying prospect. Um, it's just something that we all as humans go through on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year basis, but don't necessarily always talk about. The goal here is to uh, let these guests tell their story. Uh, it's not to judge it or to um, diagnose it or even to try to fix it. It's just to hear their story so that you at home or you know in the fourth-hand podcast studio, wherever you may be, are able to hear this and maybe then feel that you could share your story with, with somebody that you see uh, and, and feel a little less alone. So that's that's sad times. Uh, we do have ourselves a nice little website. It's call, called called a website. Uh it's sadtimespodcast.com uh and we will have the link to that in the show notes and there you can reach out to be a guest which is how our wonderful guest today uh who we're about to introduce came to our attention. She reached out to us and, um, I will let you know that anybody who comes on the main rule of sad times is the guest decides 100% about what we talk about, uh, so that it's not always the easiest stuff to talk about. So we, we definitely make sure that we understand what you are and are not comfortable talking about. So please take a, take a look there. We are all also on Amazon music. Now, uh, the podcast. So if you are an Amazon music listener, please, uh, download, follow, uh, LOL, I don't know what the kids do. So, all that stuff. And um, yeah, let's get to our sponsor and then we're going to get to our wonderful guests. Uh, So, this week's sponsor is the Ted Cruz Travel Agency. Do you work in what was once the greatest deliberative body in the history of man, but is now a sideshow act that no one respects? And while working there, do every single one of your colleagues and constituents hate you with a passion? And when you come home from the Senate, does your family recoil at the sight of you? Not to worry. At the Ted Cruz Travel Agency, we can whisk you away from your cares, worries, and responsibilities all the way to Cancun. We only service Cancun. Prices and participation may vary. That sounds like a pretty good deal. I might have to check that out. Wade, if you could just reach out to them for me, please. Thank you. All right. Uh, as always, please support our sponsors. If uh, you do, please use the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E at checkout. Uh, and Let them know that you came here. All right. Enough of that bullshit. Let's get to our wonderful guest today. It is a woman named Teal. Teal, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Uh,
0: so I want to say this, too. Obviously, right now, you uh, nobody can see us, but you have a beautiful... Uh, you're outside with some trees behind you. Where are you?
1: I am in Oregon.
0: Ooh, wow! I'm I, at
1: a park. I'm at a park that um, I have to clean the bathrooms at every day, so it's not always the prettiest place. But where I'm at now is.
0: I appreciate that we're not recording in the bathrooms. That's good. That's good. agreed. Um, now, Teal, you and I are from the same lovely town in central Illinois. Um, and we we were, uh, you graduated what year? 2002. Yes. Okay. So we were two years apart. We were both in the marching band. Uh, I played the tuba. What did you play?
1: I played the flag, played the hell out of them. Oh, you were I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I'm
0: sorry. (laughs) You were in the color guard. Okay. Gotcha. Oh yeah. Um, I loved marching band. Did you enjoy it? or I
1: hated marching band. Oh, good.
0: <laughs> good. And that's what we're going to talk about today. No, I'm just kidding. Did you do it all four years?
1: Um, No. So I did two years, but my second year, um, the day we got back from band camp, I blew out my knee. And so I had to stand on the sidelines of at attention for the entire season.
0: Oh, my God. I remember that now. I remember yeah. that now. You poor, poor person.
1: Yeah, I just had to stand facing the audience for 15 minutes doing nothing.
0: So, was that ever explained to the judges or why you were there? Or?
1: Well, we probably did so well because I was standing on the side instead of participating.
0: Oh, now come on. <laughs> uh, well, and I think we're, we're going to get to it a little bit later, but we, we went on a trip together uh, to Disney world and where yes, we left that lovely central Illinois town and on charter buses. Was it one or two? Just one. I think.
1: I, I can't remember Peoria charter though. I remember the big red. Was it bus. Peoria?
0: Okay. Yeah. And we, we rode those suckers down and um, it was a long bus trip, long bus trip. I, I enjoyed that trip. That's where uh, we all were when it turned January 1st, 2000.
1: Yeah. The year 2000. Yep. My family was terrified something terrible was going to happen. Were they
0: worried about like Y2K?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think we all were a little bit. Brent's got like four Y2K related tattoos all on his <laughs> neck. They, they aged very well.
1: Pretty hardcore.
0: Um. So we are from the same hometown. But as I said, we I didn't know you very well in high school, even though we had a pretty pretty small high school. I mean, when we sure. were growing up, it was 4,800 people in that town. Um, tell us about kind of your early years and and uh, did you all were you always in Monticello?
1: Pretty much. So my family and I um, moved to Monticello when I was about four. I think um, I was living with my grandparents at the time. Um, my bio parents were young and not really well equipped equipped to raise a child, um, and so from the time I was born, pretty much. I was with my grandparents.
0: Okay. Um,
1: they, re- they relocated to Monticello, I want to say like 1988, probably.
0: Mm.
1: Ooh, just one um, year after
0: the sesquicentennial.
1: <laughs> just missed it. Just missed it. Okay. <laughs> and so they
0: basically were, uh, you lived in their well, house. They, they raised you basically is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. So they were my primary caregivers. Um, when I was maybe seven or eight, they actually adopted me. Um, so they're my father's parents. So my paternal grandparents, um, which interestingly enough, fun fact, um, when you're adopted, you get a new birth c- certificate. Um, really? so, so I have two birth certificates, um, my original one from when I was born. And then when I was adopted, you get a new one with your adoptive parents' names on them. Uh, however, my biological father has a birth certificate with the same parents names on it. So by law, when I was adopted, my dad became my brother.
0: <laughs> wow. Central Illinois, so that, baby. Um that's crazy. So let me ask you this like if you were to apply for a passport or eight? which document would you use?
1: You use the most reset one. Gotcha. I never so, knew that. Actually, that's cool. I had to get a passport and I couldn't find my updated one. Mm-hmm. So I had to request it. Um, cause I didn't want to give like false documentation.
0: No, I wouldn't advise that. That's not a, not a good idea.
1: What did yeah. your grandparents do? Um, so my, uh, grandfather who I call Poppy. Um, so when I referred to, to him, um, that's who that is. Okay. Um, he was in the military for like over 20 years before I was born and then once I was born, he worked for like social security or something, like some government office sure, um so he he had an office job, um and then my grandmother, who I refer to as my mom, um she was a stay at home mom mostly, so she was um really just sort of raising me um um doing the stay at home wife and mom thing
0: awesome. Did, now did you have any siblings who lived with you?
1: Not that lived with me, so I have seven siblings um I'm the only child between my parents, so they either have a different mom or a different dad than I do, and so they were raised either with um, with their parents, their biological parents, um, or some of them were actually uh, in the foster care system and then adopted out of the family as well. Um, gotcha. So I've I've known some of my siblings my whole life, but didn't um, didn't know some of them until adulthood because of that.
0: Gotcha. Okay growing up in the small town, did you, you know, a lot of people, they grow up and they're like, for example, when I was four, here was my fucking bright idea. I was going to be a baseball player in the summer and an actor in the winter. And then I get hit by a pitch in baseball. And I was like, forget baseball. I mean, I love baseball, but I'm not playing it anymore. Did you ever have a time in your life where you're like, this is what I want to do? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, when I was young, I think um, like most little girls, you want to be a veterinarian. Ah. <laughs> but by the time I got older, um, my biological dad, he was um he had a number of addictions. And so it was kind of in and out of my life through the years and in and out of rehab. Um, and when I was about 14, he went to rehab for the last time um and was able to, you know, actually be sober for a period of time. Um, and seeing how um, that you know, people that worked in that field were so helpful to him. Um, that's the side, I decided. That's kind of the direction that I wanted to go. Um, Specifically, was, like
0: with addiction and rehab and, and things.
1: Yeah, to sort of work in substance abuse treatment, um, because I felt like that was that was something that I was grateful that was there to help my dad, uh, my bio dad, um, and so I wanted to help other people do that too. Okay, um, and so that's. That's pretty much what I wanted to be until I was almost ready to graduate from college.
0: <laughs> well, what then? What uh, changed?
1: Well, so when I was a teenager, uh, coming home from that aforementioned that band trip, mm-hmm. um, I came home to the news that my dad had actually passed away. My bio dad. Oh. Um, and so, being given those those two sober years um, especially sort of ingrained in me like this is what I want to do like even though he died at 38 years old like he he got to get sober and I got to experience that um, and so graduated high school went to college had that on the brain the whole time um, and then my last semester of college I did a an internship in an inpatient um, substance abuse treatment program and While I loved the work and I loved like getting to see people kind of break down their walls over time, it was a 28-day program. So just as soon as people would start to kind of open up and work on doing some healing, it was time for them to go home. Um, And I I didn't like not being able to help them beyond that.
0: So I decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do. (laughs) So a couple of questions about that. It was 28 days. Was Sandra Bullock there?
1: You know, it would have been more interesting if she was. Yeah. But sadly, fair. she was not.
0: And then the other question <laughs> is Did people have to leave due to insurance constraints? Like the insurance is like, we're only going to pay for this for this long, or the actual program was 28 days. And then you just so, weren't part of the follow up?
1: Correct. So the actual program was 28 days. So essentially, with this program, um, there's basically a four week curriculum that just you are working through with the group of people. Um, And then after four weeks, you're restarting that curriculum again. So, Mm. you know, week one, day one, this is the topics that are discussed, you know, week one, day two, these are the things. And so that that schedule just sort of rotated. Um, And no matter where someone was um, when they were admitted, you know, they just jump right in. And because they're only there for the four weeks, um, no materials being repeated during their stay. So then gotcha. the idea probably would be, you know, to continue with outpatient care. Um, but the internship I was doing wasn't involved in that. I, now, I have However. To, oh, no, go, <laughs> oh, go, please. No, go ahead. I was going to say, however, that kind of sparked my interest. And in maybe I want to work in like outpatient mental health instead of this inpatient option.
0: Gotcha. Um, and I, I want to call out here, too. I, I think it's really admirable and really cool that you're like, hey, I saw this work for my dad I want to do that. I want to help the same way that this helped me and my family. I, I, I just think that's really wonderful and that's awesome. So I think
1: that's kind of what we all want to do is like when something impacts us, we want to make that impact and like help others achieve those things too.
0: I think that's true. And would you say that you're a, a pretty big um, empath in, uh, I believe the term is empath, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely say that i'm I'm a huge empath. Um, I mean probably, um to a fault um i definitely i feel what other people are feeling i you know identify when other people are struggling um i'm also kind of a people pleaser though so i i tend to want to help to resolve you know if people are having struggles um and sometimes that's not always what people want um they don't always necessarily want their problems solved they just want Mm -hmm. someone to listen. so being an empathetic helper <laughs> um, has evolved through the years um, because I've realized, you know, in in trying to always want to help with other people's problems, then my own kind of got pushed to the back burner.
0: <laughs> Do you think that almost subconsciously, though, it was um, a way that you could be like, well, I'm helping just say, Kevin, I'm helping Kevin over here. Uh, that way I don't. And I'll, I'll deal with my stuff later. So mm-hmm. um, it was a way that you could be the person that you want to be, but also kind of not deal with the other stuff. Do you, or do you think that did not play in, I, at all?
1: I definitely would agree with that. But I would say that I wasn't even aware that mm-hmm. I was doing that because I didn't want to deal with the other stuff. Um, like, and, you that, know, I mentioned I was I was raised by people that weren't my biological parents. I had a parental death when I was 16. Um, but in my mind, I didn't see my life as being traumatic. Um, so I didn't even acknowledge until more recently in life that these traumas were occurring. I was just sort of blinds to them and focusing on what I could do to help other people. I didn't think that that I needed any help necessarily. <laughs>
0: Is it almost that you're like, well, this can't be traumatic because I lived through it. Was it kind of that like, well, my my life can't be traumatic. Other people's can, but mine can't.
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, in, in my mind, I would kind of just justify the life that I had as being like, you know, well, I didn't face abuse or neglect. You know, I was raised in a two parent household. We were middle class. You know, we didn't have to worry about where our next meal was going to come through or come from. So I would just kind of minimize those things that were actually probably pretty big traumatic things. Um, I just would look at the cup half full um, all Mm -hmm. the time.
0: Okay. So you decided you wanted to go into mental health. uh, And Mm -hmm. as an empath, as you've described yourself, and, you know, let's just call it an eight hour workday. That doesn't mean it always is, right? But in an eight hour workday, you're taking on in, in a mental health role often, you're taking on the problems of others and trying to help them solve them. And then... The work is done, but as an empath, was it really hard to shake that day off and then go, not to say that anything was wrong with it, but just to be like, okay, now it's, I need to think about myself. Was it hard to make that transition?
1: Absolutely. Um, So I mentioned that I decided I didn't want to work in um, the inpatient substance abuse treatment. What I ended up doing for much of my uh, career um, for over a decade, I worked in outpatient mental health, um, working with people in the community. Um, That had pretty severe mental illness. So again, even though I take medication for depression, anxiety, you know, even though I have my own things, um, I was working with people that were, you know, in my mind, they needed so much more assistance. Um, You know, at least my life isn't as bad as, you know, these folks that need these supports. Um, So I was always more concerned with, are their needs being met? Um, you know, making sure if they're healthy and that doesn't turn off when you go home from work, uh, right. all the time. Uh, and so my, my clients that I worked with through that decade, uh, really kind of, I was like a sibling to them almost, you know, we would spend so much time together and I was sometimes the the closest to family that they had. And so when they were struggling you know, even though I wasn't on the clock anymore, I still would, you know, be worried and have them on my mind and things like that. Um, So it definitely is. Sorry,
0: was there a way that you would be able to communicate with them, you know, outside of quote unquote, the nine to five hours?
1: So what I did is not necessarily what everyone in the profession will do. Um, But because I had worked with my clients so long and knew them very well, my clients did have my personal cell phone number. Um, But they were very respectful as far as knowing, like, I only use this if it's a true emergency. Um, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't give it out to folks that I knew couldn't have those reasonable boundaries. Um, But, yeah, Yeah. that was that was something that sometimes, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, I might get a phone call because somebody has to go to the emergency room and I need to walk them through, like, how they can get there and things like that. Wow.
0: And uh, when you took it, where was this job?
1: Um, it was actually in monticello, the the town we both grew up in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it was the it goes by the center now, but it's the Piettet County Mental health center. Mm-hmm. Um, they They provide amazing mental health services,, Agreed. Um, And I was lucky to get to be able to do what I did for so long, um because even though sometimes work did come home with me and I worried about folks after hours, um, it was also very, very rewarding, and those relationships that I formed—you know—I still think about the the folks that I worked with, and you know, the the funny stories and stuff. Even though I haven't haven't seen them in years, they're they're still, you know, I still think about them and hope they're doing well.
0: And I'm sure they do the same with you. <laughs> and yeah, I I echo that. I mean, just wonderful people doing a wonderful service to the community. Um, around the so you you were doing that work, did you? And then. You also, did you get, you got married, now you got married before you started that work or in the midst of that work?
1: So I actually, I started at the center in early 2009 and I got married in August 2009, actually on this day that we're recording. Yes,
0: happy (laughs) anniversary.
1: Yeah, thank you. So So, um, I had had worked in other um, like local social service organizations, short-term, between college and between my job at the center. Um, but having that job at the center when I lived very close and grew up in the area, um, basically I, I have spent my entire life within about a 45 minute radius to that, to that hometown until now.
0: Was that a strange, um, balance to achieve where you're, you're doing really meaningful work within the community, but you're also trying to have your own, um, your own identity and maybe be like, hey, that yes, I know I grew up here, but I'm I'm an I'm a growing person. I'm a different person. <laughs> was that a was that a difficult thing for you?
1: Absolutely. So um, you know, number one, having a unique name um makes people remember you, even if you're not in a small town. True. Um, and so going to school like K through twelve in the same community that I'm living and working, um, you know, teachers and um classmates and classmates families like everyone knows you it feels like um and that can be somewhat difficult um if everyone knows you from you know especially the time you were little and you know the family you came from and how you were raised um but you kind of find yourself trying to fit into a mold um kind of that mold that they um that they have seen you grow up and that they they think that they you know know you really well because they've known you your whole life um and sometimes that would require that i kind of wear a mask um as far as um not voicing my opinions about things publicly um not commenting on you know the current political climate Mm -hmm. because um because i i wanted to be able to express myself um and my beliefs and um have people kind of know what I thought, uh, but because of my role that I played in the community, which was very public, um, you know, it was it was a government job, so it was you know, um, there's there's always people that are that are going to be seeing you in the community and seeing what you're doing. Um, so I wanted to be as people pleasing um, and tactful um, as possible, which then you know in other people weren't ended by what I would say or think badly of um things that I did that kind of led to me not really getting to be my true self to the rest of the world <laughs> so there was there was teal that was out in the community who was friendly and um you know liked everyone and always nice and then there was teal who sometimes just wanted to tell people to shut the fuck up <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Right. Uh, but then with that role and and yes, I can, I can totally understand what you're saying. And so you got married, you're, you're, you're Mm -hmm. trying to balance this, this role and you're trying to not ruffle feathers as I think the saying goes. Um, did that, especially as an empath and you're, you're really giving a lot of yourself every day to your clients and the people that you work with, did that have an effect on you in your relationship? Like when you, um, you know, would come home for the day, et cetera.
1: Sure. So I've always, excuse me, I've always kind of said of, of my marriage that like life is hard and life is shitty a lot of the time, but like our marriage has always been the easiest part of it. Um, which I think is, you know, what, what anyone would strive for in a relationship. But, um, you know, we had, some really difficult times in life early in our marriage. My husband had a lot of surgeries, a lot of medical stuff. Um for the first like 7 or 8 years of our marriage, he had at least a surgery every single year. Wow. Um and so with that, you know, came time off work, which, you know, then you have financial strain and mm-hmm. um debt like everyone has. Um and so like I said, like life would be crappy, but like we always handled our marriage really well. And so those those challenges and those hurdles didn't impact our relationship, um, but add on to that, um, you know, just normal life stress that we're experiencing, plus the stress from work and all of the people that I'm caring for. Um, sometimes in the evenings when I would come home, the last thing I would want to do would be to even communicate <laughs> yeah. with, with my family because, you know, I have been doing that all day long. Um, yeah, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, I, I use the analogy of like a pitcher of water. So if you start your day with a pitcher of water, um, you know, you're pouring glasses out to everyone throughout the day, whether that's your significant other, your children, um, your job, friends. Um, and then at the end of the day, when you come home, like if your pitcher is empty, then you, you die of, of thirst basically because, you've been giving it all to somebody else and not giving it anything to yourself and i was finding myself more and more like that at the end of the day um towards probably early 2020 before before covid and everything i was already feeling that way well
0: luckily in early 2020 everything would turned out fine uh, for everyone i'm just kidding right. so early 2020 you're <laughs> everyone feel- and how long had you been in your job at this point
1: um at least a decade. Um, okay. so about 10 years, probably.
0: Okay. So you're feeling, to use your metaphor, the picture of water is, um, uh, becoming, uh, it's drying up. And right, did you, what, what were you thinking then about your job and where you lived and, and kind of uh, was it, was there a, a bit of a crisis of what do I do next or kind of what, sure. what kind of went through your mind then?
1: So, prior to twenty twenty, my husband and I had um, vacationed several times in Oregon and kind of set the goal that one day we'd like to move move out here. Um, we didn't have, you know, a plan necessarily. Um, but when when twenty twenty happened, you know, everything was just kind of flipped upside down. And we had a lot more time on our hands to do some planning mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, staying home and quarantining and things like that. So we started to really dig in and do some research on um, relocating and also on full-time RV living. So, um, and this is coming from someone who's n- not camped a day in her life, <laughs> uh, uh. but but it was something that we both thought would be something cool to do. You know, you can... <sighs> see others doing it on social media and kind of read about their journeys and so we thought you know what like if we can figure out how to make this work let's do it and i was feeling really burnt out um, at my job um i i never saw myself necessarily leaving the center like if i still lived there i probably would still be doing what i was doing Mm -hmm. um but you know with with the chaos of the world at the time we thought like well why wait now seems like a seems like a good time of any um did you so, own an rv at that time or did you
0: have to purchase one
1: we did not no um so we the thing we did was we purchased a truck um because you have to have something to pull the rv we have a mm-hmm. fifth wheel now um which you know you tow behind your truck so the first thing we did was get a truck um the second thing we did was uh list our house and so we had been preparing to list the house Um, That takes a long time when you've lived somewhere a long time. (laughs) You just accumulate so much stuff. Oh man. Isn't that Um, the truth? Yeah. So, um, we listed our house in July and had been kind kind of eyeballing different trailers and fifth wheels. And, um, it was essentially a purchase that we were going to wait until our house sold because we were going to take the equity that we had in the house when we sold the house and then buy an RV with it. um, And so we actually, a a friend was selling hers and it's, it was in great condition. We got a great deal on it and she was even willing to kind of store it until we closed on our house, um, which we did at the end of November, 2020. Um, and about a week later, we hit the road in our RV, we sold everything or, um, donated it, um, with the exception of a storage unit that still sits in Monticello with some stuff in it. Um. But other than that, we left with what we could fit in our RV and we hit the road.
0: How scary was that? Terrifying. Why was it terrifying? <laughs> everyone
1: er, so everyone always will tell me, like, oh, you're so brave for doing it. But like you can be brave, but still scared shitless. <laughs> and that's basically um kind of how the last couple of years of my life have been. I'm um when we hit the road, because we had never Owned an RV, you know. There's this whole gigantic thing that you know you're going to have to repair and um, learn how to learn how to do different things um, with the rig. Uh, You know, as RVs aren't meant aren't built to live in, so when you're living in it, the wear and tear is a lot greater, and so you have to fix things a lot sooner than you would in a house. Um, I also I didn't know how to tow it, so I've I've still never towed the thing. Um, but just knowing that, like, oh, if something happens to my husband and he's not able to drive, like, I don't know how to, what to do with this thing. Yeah. Um, and we also, I was leaving the only home, essentially, that I had ever known. Um, I was 37 years old, I think. And I had only ever lived within about 45 miles within central Illinois. Um, so, you know, leaving behind friends and family and not having a job that, that we were, you know, we were just, we had some savings from our house and, um, the goal was Oregon, um, but we wanted to travel a bit first. And so we did, we did that for a couple months. Um, but then traveling is expensive. So we were kind of, uh, spending money quicker than we expected. And so we decided we better find a, a new home base um, in Oregon. And, um, one of the things that a lot of people in the full-time RV community do is they will, um, like do work at campgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. so they call it work camping. Um, or you can have, a lot of positions are volunteer where, um, you will volunteer 20 hours of time, but then you get to park your RV and live full-time there.
0: When you say volunteer 20 hours of your time and work, what is it? What kind of work is that? Just cleaning up or what does that mean?
1: Yeah. So I can only speak to what my experience was. Um, but we we actually were chosen to um, work at an RV park that had an ocean view um, on the Oregon coast. Um, absolutely never thought that I would live on the Oregon coast, but the opportunity presented itself. Um, and so we had like a weekly schedule um, that hours that we would be available. Um, there was at, at, some parks, there's like a live, it, like a live-in caretaker that lives in a house on the property. Um, and so that person was kind of like my boss. And so mm-hmm. between, um, myself and another host and him, um, we basically have to have someone available at all times in case campers need something, in case someone needs firewood. Um, then there's daily cleaning, daily trash removal, um, you know, cleaning bathrooms, things like that. Just everybody, sort of all hands on deck, to make sure the park stays beautiful and that campers are happy. <laughs> okay. Um,
0: and were you actually right on the ocean?
1: Um. So we, um, our location was in Florence, Oregon, and so Florence is actually most well known for, um, the sand dunes. Okay. Um. So, like, the movie Dune was actually inspired by um, the author of the book well i said movie but it was a book first frank herbert um, yep yeah so he actually spent time at the oregon dunes and that was some inspiration for some of the um some of the like geographic types of things so fun fact about florence
0: wow i didn't um, know that okay
1: yeah but our park was actually right where um the Siuslaw river meets the pacific ocean so florence is really more of a river town the Siuslaw river um travels through town and is actually literally right behind me where I sit right now. Okay. Um, And so where it runs into the Pacific, that's where our, um, our park was. And so from my front door, I could see um, I was, uh, it was probably a mile to walk if I wanted to put my toes in the water, but um, yeah, it was ocean view from the front, from the front yard.
0: Did you ever get, get used to that? or was it every day you're like oh jesus this <laughs> so is beautiful
1: every day i mean every day for probably a year i had to pinch myself i you know it it was so hard to believe that this plan that we had hatched actually was working <laughs> i mean i i didn't expect failure necessarily but i didn't expect the ocean <laughs> so um i mean i would every day just have to remind myself like you deserve this you deserve this i would literally say it out loud to myself uh, because it didn't feel real.
0: Would there be another voice of, of some sort literally, in your head so saying that got- you didn't deserve this? Is that, is that kind of what you're saying okay. or?
1: Um. So not necessarily, I mean, not necessarily that I didn't feel deserving, but it just seems too good to be true. Mm. Um, and so it felt like, you know, there had been so many struggles in life, you know, up till then that I was, I was always waiting for the other shoe to fall essentially, you know, waiting for the catastrophe or the disaster that would, you know, make it not be real.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And then was your husband working on the campground as well?
1: Um, he did for a little while. Um, so when we, when we first moved, um, we both just, it was winter time, and so winter in Oregon tends to just be very rainy on the coast. Um, so we had some savings still, um, and we make it on very little at the time. Um, so it wasn't until I we had probably been in Oregon about six months. Um, that is when he found other employment offsite, um, just actually down the road to the Oceanfront Hotel. Um, which he now runs the maintenance department there hey, so, all right um so yeah kind of got his foot in the door and um that way we had some additional income coming in um because i mean there were there were months that you know i went to the food bank because we didn't have money to it, things are very expensive out here too so okay. we didn't have money to you know to necessarily pay for groceries um I got on Medicaid. You know, I all of these benefits that I always had helped other people in my job with. Um, now I was the one using them. Um, but, you know, that's what they're there for. And I felt like I had I had uh paid my dues. And if I needed that program, then that's what I needed for the short term. And so um it was it was sitting super tight there for probably six or eight months. Um, but you know, if you, if you want something bad enough, you make it work.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you as things are, you know, tight and, and, and difficult money wise, et cetera, you're, you're, did you, were you questioning every day? Like, what have I done? Like, did you have the, on top of the, you deserve this? Was there also like, oh man, you know, oh, things don't feel as, um, safe, uh, as they did when I had the nine to five in the house, et cetera, et cetera. Was that a, a struggle yeah, so for you or
1: no? I, you know, it. I would have expected it to be um, because I am, I'm a person that likes to plan. I like to know exactly what's going on. I like to be prepared. Um, and the, the lifestyle that we were living in Oregon didn't really afford that all the time. Um, you know, for instance, living in the RV as things break, you know, you're having to fix them and, um, you know, kind of put out fires here and there. Um, not knowing, uh, you know, we, we were pretty confident that, um, we would be able to remain in our position, um, at the campground, you know, year after year, as long as we wanted to. Um, but as, as, you know, the months went on, you know, we're kind of hoping like, oh, you know, if this doesn't work out, what can we do instead? That's the planner in me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know, there there were times when it felt like I should be worrying more, um, but the longer that I was kind of um, adapting my lifestyle to this new geographic location, I also kind of mentally was realizing more just about myself as a person, and um, I guess kind of I also had a lot of time to think because I wasn't going to a nine to five. And so uh, it's also when I kind of started to begin to process some of, you know, this tr- this trauma that had happened in my life growing up that I had never thought was trauma. Um, but I think because I, I actually felt like I was in a safer space geographically where other people weren't going to judge me or, you know, have this this preconceived notion of me, it felt safer to explore and work through those things. Um, to kind of start healing and letting letting the the version of myself out that really had just been pushed down by the, the atmosphere and the environment that I had grown up in.
0: So in that peaceful situation where you do have some time to think, isn't it nice when there's Wait? time to think? Now, <laughs> it's scary for me because sometimes I think too much, but um, did you, is that when you kind of realized, oh, I really did, you know, I really did have these traumas, whatever they may be. And then do you, you feel like you were embracing, embracing is not the right word, encountering them for the first time? Like you were actually dealing with them for the first time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, having, having this time and this, um, you know, location where I, I was living pretty anonymously, um, So like I could go out and nobody's going to know me because I don't know anybody. (laughs) Um, But that was, that also kind of gave me some time to, to just sort of reflect on, um, you know, growing up the way that I did and just the family dynamic that I had and, um, you know, kind of getting, getting the freedom or, or learning how to have the freedom to tell those that had, caused kind of some pain in my life um letting them know like how it had made me feel and that you know even though this might have happened 30 years ago like i'm just now working through it and um i don't you know i don't feel like i can fully heal until i let you know how your actions impacted me so for example um uh, my my bio mom and i have exchanged some letters um because i find that is Sort of an easier way to sometimes work through the the tough stuff um, is getting to like write your thoughts out um, uninterrupted, um, and so you know my my mom and I uh, bio mom and I have have sort of exchanged letters and I've been able to you know kind of tell her this is how you know this is how I felt when I was younger and then she's also been able to share with me you know when when we're kids we don't really get that our parents have feelings you know um but she was able to kind of share with me how those same circumstances um you know made her feel from her point of view um and so unfortunately a lot of the people that that I would love to be able to do that with are no longer living um so that becomes difficult too because you sometimes can't get closure or healing from your trauma if the people that caused it aren't here anymore. Um, or if you do get healing, you have to figure out a way to do it where you just have to be okay with not being able to tell them how how their actions made you feel.
0: Right. And you, you have said a few times, um, I think you've described yourself somewhat as a people pleaser um, and... As somebody who's always been a people pleaser and then you're kind of making this transition, you're really encountering some things and you're, you're reaching out and and expressing how things made you feel. Was that, did the impulse to be a people pleaser, did that almost hold you back from being able to express these
1: things? It definitely made it harder um, for sure. So, and I think that's why I find like writing the letters a little bit easier because then I can... Kind of get my thoughts out, digest them. Um, Being a people pleaser means that I also sometimes don't express myself fully because I don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. Um, So that's pretty much, pretty much growing up that way. You know, I didn't, I wouldn't want to hurt, uh, you know, bio parents' feelings, but I also wouldn't want to hurt adoptive parents' feelings. So a lot of times I would just kind of keep things to myself and bottle things up um, because I didn't want to cause pain to someone else, even though it was causing pain to myself.
0: But you don't, I imagine you didn't realize you're like, no, I, or do you, do you think you ever had the thoughts like, well, I don't want to cause said person pain, so I'll just take this on. And, and it feels like, you know, small, little, minute Pieces, but that stuff does add up. Did you ever realize yes. <laughs> it, that it was adding up, or was it only until you had some space and time to yourself with your thoughts, g- getting away from that forty-five mile zone that you uh, right. in which you grew up? Like that, you said, "Oh, okay, that did have an effect on me."
1: Yeah. So I think that I was starting to kind of um, realize some of these things prior to leaving Illinois. Um, you know, as when my adoptive parents passed away in 2011 and 2014, uh, I was tasked with like cleaning out their Hmm. home of 30 years. Wow. So, um, after doing that and sort of like, you know, finding letters between my parents and finding documents and learning a lot of things about my parents that I didn't know when they were alive, um, that kind of started the ball rolling as far as me, um, You know, realizing like, okay, there was there was some dynamic going on here that that did really impact how I've the adult that I've grown into. Um, But now these people aren't here for me to process that with them. Mm. Um, And so initially it kind of felt like, well, this isn't fair that, you know, I'm just stuck with knowing all of this knowledge that was kept from me. Um, How am I supposed to, you know, how am I supposed to deal with that? Um, well, I had a lovely therapist out here in Oregon who kind of helped me figure out, you know, how to get closure. Like you you don't necessarily need an apology from someone to get closure. Um, right. And sometimes that's not possible. Um, but there, there are ways that you can uh, arrive at acceptance without an apology, basically. Um, and it can be hard to do. And and I wouldn't say I'm all the way there still, sure. <laughs> um, but I definitely um have really dove in the last two and two and a half ish years that we've been away from Illinois. Um, I've picked up some hobbies that I put down. You know, when I was a teenager, I loved to like paint and do crafts and things like that. And, so
0: you you do a lot of uh, painting now
1: after after. Some I, okay. I dabble a little. Mm-hmm. Um but um but it's more it's not for me, it's not really about the finished product, it's about the process yep. and like how I feel when I'm doing stuff. Um and now, how do you feel when you're doing teenager, stuff?
0: What is the feeling that you get? I'm sorry that I keep interrupting you. I just Oh, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so I have a very anxious mind and it will it will run a thousand miles an hour sometimes. Um so even though I'm a recovering people pleaser, I still worry about, you know, if I have an altercation with someone um, or a, a conversation where like I had to be confrontational, I don't like to do that. So after the fact, I'll just be like replaying it in my head and what could have I said differently. Um and essentially worried about like what those people must have thought of me. Um and so when I get those moments, you know, being able to just either doodle or paint or draw um i like to do like repetitive things um do you know what mandalas are so no i don't so mandalas are like um they're typically round and it's like a a pretty pattern it's like repeated patterns in a circle Mm -hmm. um and so it's they're they're pretty to look at but they're also because you're repeating patterns when you draw them it makes your mind kind of focus on that instead of all of those thoughts that were running through your mind. Sure. Uh, and so when I have those times when my brain is just full of gunk, um, that's what I like to do to make the th- like it just it makes the thoughts go away. And all I'm focusing on is, you know, this pen and paper that's in front of me right now. Um, and then at least for whatever amount of time I'm doing that, I've got the quiet mind and can, Sometimes then reflect afterwards and be able to reevaluate the situation I was worried about with sort of a calmer mind,
0: okay, gotcha. And it, sorry, and i I had interrupted you. so you said painting, crafts, um, what other hobbies have you kind of gotten back into that maybe you were doing as a teenager?
1: Um, so I also um I have old lady hobbies, so <laughs> <laughs> cross stitch um, i uh, I do cross stitch yeah. sometimes. <laughs> And I crochet. Um, I actually crochet. Like it's kind of a little side hustle. Like friends and family, when they see stuff on the internet, they'll send me a picture and be like, "Hey, can you make this?" And so I'll make a little money on the side doing it. Um, but those are those are kind of the main ones. Um, and it's helpful. Usually when I'm doing those, you know, I'm like listening to music or listening to an audio book, just stuff that will kind of activate my brain in a different way to to focus less on what I was obsessing about and anxious about and just kind of clear my head that way.
0: And I imagine being in such a um, beautiful surroundings helps with that as well.
1: For sure. So I, I live on, so after we hosted on the, on the Oregon coast, um, we actually weren't looking to relocate elsewhere in Oregon. Um, but the opportunity was presented to us was offered by the county which is the campground we had been working on was a county property um and so we got the opportunity to um move about 20 miles from the coast or inland um to this big like 15 acre property um that is it's not a traditional campground where people would drop by and you know tent tent camp or rv camp but it's more of a location that people can rent the entire camp. So 4-H camps, church camps, weddings, things like that. Okay. Um, so uh, I have the, the, that 15 acres of property at my fingertips of all time. Wow. Um, we get to live in a house on site. And so I take care of um, you know the maintenance and the cleaning and dealing with the public, with the, the groups that come in and stuff. Um so year round I have you know this beautiful atmosphere at my fingertips which is awesome.
0: Have you learned a lot of maintenance related things between the RV and then kind of the work that you're describing now and at your previous campground? Like did you know how to do all this stuff or did you just have you kind of learned on the fly?
1: No, I didn't I didn't know anything. Um so the RV stuff, um uh, my husband is he's very handy and um that's still that's still his his wheelhouse when when we were in it he would take care of that um but now at our location uh, that we are now since he still works off-site and now i'm the one that's in charge if something breaks like i gotta figure out how to fix it <laughs> and um because i'm a person that likes to be prepared and likes to know what's going on um that can sometimes like be difficult for me because i'm not a plumber and i'm not an electrician and i don't know how to fix lawnmowers but all of these things are broken and i have to figure it out so there have been a lot of tears (laughs) in the last you know six months while i'm trying to figure shit out um but you know i'm learning and and the the parks staff um so i'm considered an independent contractor and then there's county park staff that also do some things um they've been They've been very kind in teaching me, you know, kind of how to do some of the the maintenance things that I don't know how to do. So I am now a plumber and hey, a lawnmower mechanic.
0: <laughs> so you could actually, if I were to say, I don't know, Brent lets me use the studio if I mow his lawn is, is basically how this works. So I'm just kidding. That's not true at all. Uh, Brent is very kind and generous. Um, if I had a broken lawnmower, mower. To a degree, I could just be like, hey, Teal, if I like FaceTime you, I could be like, what's going on over here? Could you would you do you think you would have a good chance of helping me with that? Absolutely not.
1: Oh, damn Absolutely it. Absolutely not.
0: Well, shit. All right, then that's like, fine.
1: I know enough to like turn it on and how to like make it go if it's not going. Um, and that's about it.
0: OK. And how long have you been on the the 15 anchors that you're describing?
1: Um, since the 1st of December, um, of 2022. So our, our season is just April through October. So we don't have guests on site, um, in the winter months, but I still get to live there and, um, basically have that as my home with no visitors for six months out of the year, um, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. Um, and obviously so you're let's see here coming up on three years outside of what the the big change the the big decision yeah. to leave how do you feel i mean it sounds like it's going pretty well
1: it is going well um i'm actually returning to town uh to monticello in october oh. for a visit when um, and oh, it will be well, the first okay it will, mm-hmm. it will be the first time that i have been back since um how are you feeling about that I mean I'm excited for some things. Um I have, you know, I have a niece and a nephew who I miss terribly and have grown so much. Um so that's probably what I'm most excited about. And and seeing other family too, but sure. mostly them.
0: <laughs> well, the town um, square is still there.
1: It, is it hopping?
0: Always. <laughs> Always.
1: Um So, but they put those stop signs up. So now you can't I don't want to talk
0: about those fucking stop signs, man. <laughs> When those started going right. up, I was like, what is, what is, what does my life become? Cause, it, right. <laughs> cause I got hit when I was in second grade, I got hit cause I was an idiot and I was like, and I ran across the street and I got nailed by this poor high school. I don't even know who it was. Oh my gosh. That He just hits this little pipsqueak second grader and I get thrown <laughs> and I got, that poor guy probably was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Luckily I was, He'll I be was on totally the episode.
1: fine. In a few weeks, talking about his trauma. Of right. His there initial. you go. There
0: you go. <laughs> so, even as you're out there and you're dealing with it, obviously, as you said, you're still working through it. I think a lot, what a lot of people assume, or, or maybe at least, tend to think oh well I fixed this problem with my mental health it it, to me in my experience it's never that it's managing it so as you deal have you still been dealing with some that anxious mind depression et cetera, even though you're out there and and you're doing exactly what you wanted to do
1: definitely I mean just because your location changes doesn't mean that your shit changes (laughs) so um you know being in a different location has helped me Um, focus on myself instead of all of the other people in you know in my in my area Um, you know friends family acquaintances strangers Um, I'm not really worried about about um, what their thoughts are now Um, whereas you know three years ago that was all I was worried about was what people would think of me you know putting putting a good um, good face forward so that people would think highly of me and now I don't give a shit. Like if you don't like me, you don't like me. Whatever. Um but being able to um I mean as as much as I love the mental health profession, being out of the mental health profession has allowed me to fill my own cup like I mentioned. Um and you know not having to to take care of as many people. I mean, I've always been a caretaker. Um and so not not having to be the caretaker and the fixer um allowed me to kind of focus focus on my own stuff but i definitely have um anxious days or like stressy and depressy days and um i know that they won't last forever so i try to um you know occupy my mind in doing some of those creative things that we talked right. about um but it's it's definitely it gets easier, I found, over time, you know, to kind of confront these things and work through them.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a big thing for me, too. I, I Again, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I totally agree with it. It's not like everything, again, you're not going to solve it, but it's not like, oh, one day all this stuff works now. It's it's step-by-step, step, small, not TGIF step-by-step, step, starring Patrick <laughs> Duffy. Uh, it's like small incremental steps, and then those well, steps I- become a little easier, I've found. And then the same way that we're building up certain things that may cause us pain, we're also building up things that are helping us heal.
1: For sure. Um, I've, I also, I mean, sometimes I have to put self care on my to do list um, because life will get busy and I will, um, you know, have all these other tasks around the park that I need to do and I'll start to feel, you know, be feeling the the racing thoughts and stuff. And then I'll realize, you know, you haven't taken any time for yourself in a few days. And so sometimes it goes on the to-do list mm. um, to make sure it gets done. When um, did you,
0: when did that become something that started to recur on your to-do list? The self-care items, um, I mean.
1: I would say, so I would say that I've, I've done that throughout my adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in increments so um if i'm if i'm going through sort of a depressed period then those things uh probably aren't on my to-do list sure <laughs> um but then you know point. i realize as i as i do those things that that um i guess one thing that we call one thing that we called them in in some training that i did was like a wellness toolkit and so if you imagine like you have a little toolkit like you know with your hammer and your screw and your drill but instead of tools, you've got like wellness tools. So the things that that you do when you're at your best that make you happy. So for me, that might be reading or drawing or listening to music, like knowing what's in my toolkit and like naming them when I'm feeling good helps then when I'm feeling not so good, I can look at this list and be like, all right, you know, these things make you feel better. So we need to do one of these things today. Yeah. Um, so what and that is, what, would be, you know, that would be stuff that I would teach my clients about too, is identifying those things that, uh, make you feel better mentally and bring you joy. And if you have to put it on a list and reference the list, then that's what you got to do.
0: Out of curiosity, what, what's some, uh, stuff that you like to read that, um, you, that, that relaxes you or, or what have you?
1: Um, so i'm kind of a 50 50 audiobook versus like actual book reader okay um most of the things that i've been reading lately have been sort of like whatever's the in the best seller fiction Mm -hmm. um although i i go to the little free libraries nearby um and i picked up a book that i read the back of it and it was you know sounded like a romance um but that was a spicy little book. So from time to time, I read the spicy little books too.
0: What, do you care to share the title or would you rather not?
1: I honestly don't even remember. Okay, oh, yeah, that's
0: fair. <laughs> was it the Bible?
1: <laughs> that's uh, not enough spice for me. Oh, Sorry. that's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, okay.
0: So as we're wrapping up here, Teal, I, I want to say a couple things. things. Um, you said earlier, and I'm going to probably misquote you even though you just said it, just, because you're brave doesn't mean you're scared to death. Agree. Agreed. But I, I wanna praise you and your husband for the um the decisions you made and commitment to go out and say, you know what, I'm gonna do it this way. This is what I would like to try. And sticking with it even as, you know, financially it didn't seem to be working out, as, you know, you're running into R V problems, all that stuff. Uh, I just think that's a really admirable and cool thing. And I, I, I commend both of you and um, I think that's awesome. So as we wrap up, is there anything else that you would want to impart that maybe you didn't say or share or anything of that nature before we close out?
1: Um, I mean, I just, I, I don't necessarily have anything further about, you know, my sort of story but I just commend you for having these conversations with people. I think it's awesome. And I especially think that men's mental health isn't talked about enough. Um, And so I love, um, you know, listening and hearing everybody's stories. I think you're doing a great thing here.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. And um, I appreciate it. And again, it was, it was such a pleasant and lovely surprise when I opened it up and saw that you had reached out on the website. So thank you so much for reaching out. It's, Absolutely. It's an inspiring story. Uh, I appreciate your honesty, your vulnerability and everything. And I I think it's so great that that you two are doing so well out there. And again, as of this recording, happy anniversary to you both. That's really wonderful. And um, I guess I will close the same way I always do, um, which is just a reminder that there is always room for kindness and grace. Even with ourselves, as I say every time, I forget it all the time. I forgot it about a hundred times a day, but I'm going to keep trying. There is always room for kindness and grace, and we will see you next time on Sad Times.
1: You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.